Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio. Tonight we continue Voices Behind the Wall. And I'll tell you right now, we're just getting started. The young man you just heard moments ago, we played that clip on Tuesday night as we began our journey to expose the cruelty the horrific stories of treatment, of murder, death, rapes, abuse, beatings, torture, and caging human beings. Happens every day in this country at some penitentiary, some facility, whether it be state or federal, or county jails. This abuse continues to spiral out of control. Right now, we continue to be that voice for those behind the wall. It starts right now. There you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, 
William Williams and the entire AJC radio team tonight as we again be really do our best to give you a look into a system, the criminal justice system, which is so far off the rails and has lost her way. As countless people die behind the wall of America's prisons, they are tortured, beaten, deprived of medical care, food not fit for an animal to eat. But the perception or the illusion, if you will, is that we have the best system in the world. Yet we find ourselves in a position where animals are treated better than our loved ones that may have made a mistake, made a bad choice, and is learning from that mistake behind the wall. Or you have those that never should have been incarcerated in the first place who have been wrongfully convicted and treated worse than an animal. You have our county jails. The clip you heard at the beginning of this show, the gentleman was in county jail. He had been convicted of nothing. He died the next morning. They found that that man yelling for help, begging for his life the night before, saying, please. He died. They found him dead in his cell the following morning. This is unacceptable. It is something that needs to be really a point of outrage in the hearts of people across this nation. That somebody's brother, somebody's father, somebody's sister has died as a result of the abuse behind the wall by prison guards, deputies. Something has to be done. And we're going to deal with that subject tonight. Feel free to dial into the show at 646-200-0628. 646-200-0628. We would welcome your call tonight as we get into this discussion. Voices behind the wall, and they're crying for help. And we need to deal with that, William, tonight as we pick up the pieces, if you will, from Tuesday night. We started again tonight as we began to unfold the horrific acts that are happening in America's prisons across this nation. It's true. I mean, we can't we can't turn a blind eye to this anymore. You know, we as a country where we, we need to do some some soul searching and some self-reflection and find out what in the world is going on. When we just, you know, mass incarceration of people and then we we basically uh, treat them like treat them worse than animals. Uh, when they're when they're sentenced to do time, and in, in our case, you know, when you got our guys wrongfully convicted, and they're and they're still subjected to, you know, this kind of environment, behavior, this this, uh, this cruelty that that these people feel like they can they can do and impose. You know, when you talk about poor health care or lack of health care, you talk about the quality of food, you talk about the environment. We we were talking on Tuesday show. One thing that stood out to me, we're talking about the Texas prisons. It's at 144 degrees in the prison where you can't even open the, the windows. I mean, basically, well, there are no windows. Yeah, I mean, he was basically saying the people were in there cooking, you know. Um, and there was a case there. A man, I believe, passed away. Correct. Uh, he could, he didn't have uh, the means of the commissary to purchase a fan. So, I mean, it, these this is just one 
of many, many situations that uh, we need to wake up to and uh, need to be aware of what's going on to to human beings. You know, this is uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's, 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 it's something. We're gonna, no, absolutely right. And we're going to be dealing with that. We're going to be dealing with Florence, Colorado. A young man by the name of Michael Anderson that we believe, family believes, was murdered in solitary confinement. We're going to be hopefully joined by Billy Anderson, the mother of Michael Anderson. I had an opportunity to speak with her today, and I'll tell you what, the pain is no less today than it was when she appeared on this program back in 2015. And still, the Bureau of Prisons has not provided her a cause of death report for her son still and she said to me today she said Lamont I have called they refuse to even talk to me asking for answers as the tragic ending of her son's life and that's exactly what it was a cover-up by Florence prison I'm going to address that tonight we're going to talk about that we actually did an interview with her back in 2015 we're going to play portions of that interview and the pain that has been suffered as a result of a failed system and, a, and folks that simply do not care. And life, the value of life continues to diminish. And uh, we, again, we had Natalie on last on Tuesday talking about prisoners' lives matter. Without question, that's definitely the case. We're going to be hearing from her tonight. Uh, we're going to be talking about quite a few things in regards to what's going on in this nation. You're going to hear clips tonight that are troubling, that make you feel like, where are we residing? Where do we live? As this continues, you're not seeing a de-escalation of the problem. It continues to spiral out of control, and we will be the voice for the voiceless and for those that are behind the wall. Dennis, your thoughts? I was just thinking about the Geneva Convention, you know, being in the military. It says, and I just ought to read something to you. It said, male and female prisoners of war receive expanded protections in the convention of 1949 that's the geneva convention such as they must not be tortured now this is our enemy or mistreated they're only required to give their name rank birth date and serial number when captured they must receive suitable housing and adequate amounts of food they must not be discriminated against for any reason they have the right to correspond with family and receive care packages the Red Cross has the right to visit them and examine their living conditions. This is the enemy. This is during war. This is like Vietnam. Where our, our soldiers are dying. But yet we made a pact with other countries that this is how we're going to treat our enemy. Yet these, our, our, our citizens in American prisons are treated worse than our the enemies. enemies of war. The enemies of war. That's unbelievable to me. There is no convention for prisoners in the United States of America. There's a bunch of lies, but uh, they're not treated humanely. Well, we're going to get into all of that, folks. We got so much information to cover. Uh, We got some last words of men and women who were killed on death row who made comments of their innocence and claimed their innocence and were still murdered. You can call it what you want. You can dress up killing inmates. You can dress up uh, folks dying in our county jails. Well, it was an accident or or it was a suicide. You can dress all that up. I'm going to tell you right now, it's not going to fly. 
Too many people are dying. Too many people are suffering as a result of abuse of power in our criminal justice system. And in this case, guards who get a kick out of killing a man or a woman or raping a woman in federal custody and state custody. It's, it's unbelievable how there seems to be no accountability for that in any way. We're going to take a quick break. Coming back on the other side of that break, buckle in, folks. This is going to be one to remember. Voices from behind the wall, the horror stories of abuse and death. We'll be right back. Do you have a big brother? Well, I have a big brother, and I'm pretty sure that you and I experienced some of the same things with a big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work, and at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout, as we all do. And, of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff, but he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impact families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll free at 1-855-529-4252. That's one 855 529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land. How often does our justice system get it wrong convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. 
Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors. Tragedies have to stop. There must be accountability. Black, white, brown. We are one. We are one. One. We will not stick to sports. We will not shut up and dribble. This is bigger than basketball. Change can be uncomfortable. Change is necessary. We need to talk. We need to act. We matter. We must unite. Say his name. Stephon Clark. Stephon Clark. We must unite. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio, Voices from Behind the Wall. Just Cause organization and AJC Radio becomes that voice to expose corruption at its highest level. The mistreatment of human beings, the torture of human beings in a way that is uncomprehendable. Men and women locked in cages and kennels, if you will, the form of punishment behind that wall. I can tell you right now that the stories that you will hear going forward are troubling, heart-wrenching, and should institute change. Washington, D.C. and our elected officials have been now talking about prison reform for quite some time. But these are constituents of members of Congress who are dying senselessly in regards, really, as a result of a system that has failed. And we're going to address those issues tonight. And the conduct, not only of correction officers, but deputies across this country that are simply losing the comprehension of the value of life because people continually are dying. We talk about the cruel treatment of those innocent that sit on death row in our prisons. And even with pleas of or requests stating, I'm innocent, I did not do this, please take another look. Words from men and women who were killed on death row who said they were innocent. Frank writes, I owe no apologies for a crime I did not commit. Those who lied and fabricated evidence against me will have to answer for what they have done. I know in my heart what I did, and I call upon the spirit of my ancestors and all of my people, and I swear to them, and now I am coming home. And that comes from Frank, who was on death row, who ultimately was, ex- was killed uh, by lethal injection 
claiming his innocence, saying, look, I, I'm not guilty of anything. What is, what is really bothering to me is that if we live in a system, a flawed system, where we see every day people are being exonerated, people are being told they did not commit a crime, how can the death penalty stay on the table when it is so flawed? And people are dying as a result of a flawed system. Why do we maintain in using that system? William writes, Jane, Grace, and all of you all, I know you think I did this, and I'm sure you think this is wonderful in your eyes. But let me tell you something. There were two DNA tests run, and none matched me. I wanted a third, but that never happened. Three people at different times confessed to killing these people, your parents. They did not know me. My request is that you get yourselves in church and pray for forgiveness because you are murdering me. I did not kill anyone in my life. If you look at your house in the police report, there are several bullet patterns shot into the west wall over the bed and the east wall and the north wall. And your sister was in the front bedroom while 30 shots were fired. There's no way she would have laid in that bed. If you think I did this, you need to think again. There were three people in the house and have confessed to it. Larry Ashworth at Fort Worth killed seven people. All I was asking for was a DNA test, and I could not get it. But get in church and get right with God. Jane, you know well, you well know that I did not molest that kid of yours. You are murdering me, and I feel sorry for you. Get in church and get saved. I really don't know what else to tell you, William. Those words ring very clear. This is a man that is saying, I simply did not do this. William, your thoughts on, on those last words of those that are, that are on death row and maintaining their innocence? I think the thing that stood out to me was when he led into it, he said, you know, and I think it's kind of, he said, he was talking about how these people may, must be happy that he uh -huh. died. That's sad, too. When you have that kind of mentality where you can't forgive, and then to even listen to this man talk about there's two D, already two DNA tests that prove that I, I'm not, I wasn't the one. I'm not there. I didn't do it. And then Ash for a third didn't get it. And he points it out. He lays down these facts saying, here. But then in his in, he was just simply saying, I need you to listen to me. Mm -hmm. There was other people in that room. It was proven I wasn't there. What it shows is they have no voice. No, they have none. This is the point. Voices behind that wall go ignored as if they don't matter. You got this man trying to convert in his last moments somebody to God. Get right with God, because I'm innocent here. And, and, this, and this talks about and speaks to why it is critically important that we become that voice. That's true. This is why it's critically important. And I'll tell you right now, uh, joining us again tonight as we bring her on, Natalie Cohen, the founder of Prison Lives Matter, uh, we're, we're definitely grateful that uh, she's joining us for the, to continue this conversation. Natalie, are you there? Yes, I am. How are you? We're good, Natalie. Thank you so much. We appreciate your commitment uh, in coming back 
and being a part of, of this program. Um, Absolutely. Did you want to start by saying anything off the, off, off the top? Well, there was something that you were talking about that I feel should get a little more attention. You mentioned something about the Geneva Codes and the way they're supposed to treat POWs. And I find right. it interesting because when you have a situation like that where you've got prisoners of war in a military installation or military correctional facility, they're kind of held accountable somewhat by the United Nations in the sense that if there is any inhumane treatment going on, somebody can just call the UN and have it shut down real fast. When you come into the domestic United States, there's nobody that holds anyone accountable because the problem and the corruption goes all the way to the top. So the biggest, one of the biggest issues in that is the lack of accountability in, in the sense that there's nobody overseeing, there's nobody that if, if an inmate makes a complaint, whether in state prison, county jails, uh, all the way up to federal custody, nobody is listening because the people up at the top that are taking these complaints are right there at the bottom dishing out the treatment. So there's no accountability whatsoever in, in any correctional department anywhere in this, in this country. No, absolutely right. And, and uh, you would think – and the governor's office is my understanding at the state level that is supposed to be who appoints the executive director to the Department of Corrections. Uh, that should be being and that should be the oversight. Uh, but there are times when things are sent out to the Department of Corrections, to the executive directors, to people in charge. They also ignore the voice of these inmates. And I want right. to share this. I want to share this with you and to our listeners. A lawsuit filed in death of Kentucky prisoner held in five-point restraints. And this comes from Prison Legal News. A wrongful death suit has been filed in state court in Oldham County, Kentucky, by the family of 30-year-old Stephen Lee McStutes, who died of suffocation when he was strapped face down on a mattress in five-point restraints at the Kentucky State Reformatory. McStutes had been forcefully removed from his cell after refusing to take medication. His hands were cuffed behind his back and his ankles shackled to a bed at least four prison, with, by at least four prison guards. According to Sam Carl, the family attorney, McCute's January 16, 2013 death resulted from the use of what he claimed was an outdated and inappropriate restraint technique. Prison officials, however, argued that the mentally ill McStutes was agitated and in danger of harming himself when he was placed in restraints. Carl disagreed that McStutes posed a threat. He states he had settled down and was not a danger to himself or others at the time he was carried into the cell where he died. Carl stated, I don't know what I've seen that I've seen a case where a person has died on videotape under questionable circumstances and the use of restraints that are sometimes characterized as cruel and outdated. Five point restraints involve a person uh, being tied to a bed with restraints placed on the ankles, wrists and around the chest. In this case, McStutes was restrained face down. Teresa Gerard, a nurse who was present when McStutes died, filed a whistleblower suit claiming she was fired after she expressed concerns about the incident and alleged a cover-up by prison staff. Now, Natalie, this guy, McStutes, was mentally challenged. They said he was not forming a threat. You put him face down 
He died from suffocation? Right. And so there's nothing the five point restraint is kind yes. of a nice way of saying being hogtied. That's that's really what that is. So if, just imagine, you know, hog tying a hog out on a farm somewhere and take that and put that face down on a bed. That's, I don't know about in Kentucky, but in general, guards are not um, trained to recognize mental illness. They're not trained to de-escalate any type of mental illness episode. They're kind of just trained to stall the situation until mental health care can, can arrive. Um, so for this to happen, I, I must say, I can't say I'm surprised because I'm sure it happens a lot more often. For it to be as extreme as to essentially hog tying to a bed, that's a little much because if he was having a, a psychotic episode um, of any sort, he shouldn't have been shackled that much. You know, you, you shackle him, maybe his hands and, and his feet just to make sure that he's not kicking himself or hitting himself or anybody else. But to go so far as to hog tie him to a bed is excessive. And I think that I'm, I'm hoping that this wrongful death suit will bring justice to the, to the officer that um, is responsible for this. And, and more so, not just the officer. I, in my opinion, I feel the whole staff all the way up to the warden should be held account- accountable for that. Because ultimately, the warden is supervising his staff. So if he can't control his staff and what the staff's doing, then he needs to be held accountable as well. No, I agree with you 100%. And, and this is becoming, it's like some type of cheap kick from killing people. Yeah. You have to put this man down and kill him. And guess what? The American people do not know. As I said on Tuesday night, we don't hear these stories on our mainstream media. We're not hearing about it. Well, but if we'll hear, we'll hear about an officer getting shot in the street. We'll hear about a, a, a black man getting gunned down by an officer who felt he was in fear of his life. That is covered. But you're telling me the life of an inmate getting murdered and tortured in our prisons means nothing. Right. That is unbelievable. And it's extremely sad. The, 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 uh, wow. Society as a whole, and more so the correctional institutions, the industry, whatever you want to call it, empire, I guess, they're so desensitized to it that they don't even feel I, – I, I feel like they don't even really go through a thought process when they do what they do. I feel like they're just going through the motions of their, of their job because they're so used to treating inmates like this that it becomes second nature almost. Yeah, um, yeah I agree. Because I, I, I can, you know, if you if you speak to these officers, they can, a lot of them will probably tell you, well, he's just an inmate, you know, because they're they're brainwashed to think that an inmate means that 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 they're nothing anymore or something. I mean, it's the biggest challenge, and I think the the first challenge that needs to be overcome if any reform is going to come to be is the fact that that inmates in any institution anywhere need to be rehumanized and need to be regarded as people, which right now they're not. And if, if any reform movements or, or measures are going to come to place, it's going to have to be after people are humanized in there. 
because as as it stands right now, it's just going to continue to get worse, and the penal systems are going to continue to grow and become more and more corrupt. Because uh, as far as they're concerned, they're they're caging animals. You know. Oh, that's uncomprehendable to me. I'm going to play this clip, Natalie. Natalie, how much time do you have tonight with us? I want to make sure I'm respectful of your time. Oh, all the time. All the time in the world. Okay, we appreciate you so much. We're going to uh, uh, play a clip now. Uh, talking sure. about, we're talking about solitary confinement and the, the horrors of that. Uh, we're talking tonight, we're going to get into that a little here shortly with Michael Anderson, who was killed in Florence Prison here in Colorado. Uh, the mother was heartbroken. Uh, Michael Anderson was getting ready to get out. Uh, they had taken him, taken him to the hole, which is solitary confinement. Uh, he came up to visitation, according to what I remember uh, his mother telling us. His lip was busted. Well, in solitary confinement, you don't have any contact with inmates. So there's only one other alternative who busted your lip, who did a right. beatdown. Those are the officers that are in that situation. Uh, we're going to talk more about that, Natalie, and get your thoughts. Right now, let's hear this clip, No Way Out of Solitary Confinement. Let's take a listen. Across this country, some 80,000 prisoners are locked in solitary confinement. That form of punishment widely accepted in America ever since prison reformers pushed it as a humane alternative to hanging almost 200 years ago. But some modern reformers think it is pure torture. Practices led to congressional hearings, U.N. reports, inmate hunger strikes. And to better understand the toll of forced solitude, ABC's Dan Harris volunteered to spend 48 hours in the hole. I'm cuffed and stuffed in the back of a sheriff's vehicle. Right in front of you. This is everybody's worst nightmare. Come on this way, please. The further we get into this, the more real it feels. Looks directly up the camera, please. Everything you need for the cell upstairs. Got a coffee cup, another pair of shoes, and a blanket. I am about to enter what some have called a monster factory. We arrive at what will be my new home. It's 7 by 12 feet, all concrete and metal. I am in solitary confinement. Everybody agrees criminals should be punished, but critics say solitary is legalized torture that makes inmates more dangerous when they get out and can be three times as expensive as regular inmate housing. But corrections officials insist it is a necessary tool to control a dangerous population. So to get a sense of what it's really like, we were granted an extraordinary inside look. Officials at the downtown Denver Detention Center agreed to make me an inmate for 48 hours, locked up alone in a room with only a camera to talk to. Say, so when that door closes and you're in here by yourself, it's a very lonely feeling. Pretty soon, the screaming starts. 
while the commotion is jarring to me. Making sure everyone's okay, making sure everyone has regular breathing going on, no one's trying to hurt themselves. It is nothing new at all for guards like Deputy Sheriff Thomas Acey, who works the overnight shift. He makes his rounds every half hour. This is my talk. I listen to everything that goes on in here just to have a good feeling on what's going on. But, man, you, you hear it all. As night falls and the lights go out, the howling and banging gets more intense. The guys who are thinking of themselves, the records below me, have been having uh, a meltdown for several hours now, screaming, uh, banging on the door of his cell. My neighbor downstairs, also in solitary, has taken off his clothes, he's urinated all over the floor, and ripped up pages of the Bible and slipped them under his cell door. For their own safety and the safety of the inmate, the guards don't go into the cell unless the inmate is actually hurting himself. You can't help but wonder how they're feeling. You have to take that into consideration, too. When someone's acting up, you have to put yourself in their shoes. After a couple months of solitary confinement, your mind starts playing tricks on you. Studies show the human brain actually slows down after just a week in solitary and that lengthy sentences can do damage similar to head trauma. We are social animals. Take away human interaction, and inmates often become depressed, consumed by irrational anger, violence, and suicidal. What's your name? What's your birthday? Making matters even more volatile, many of the inmates who end up in solitary are already mentally ill and regularly medicated. Back in my cell, surrounded by the sounds of human suffering, with zero privacy, fluorescent light streaming in, and only a thin blanket to keep me warm, I settle in for a long, restless night. Morning arrives, and so does breakfast through a slot in the door. I gotta say, it is virtually impossible to get an uninterrupted night's sleep here because there's so much noise. It's hard to figure out what to do with myself. I stare off, brush my teeth, work out. This is my mini jail tissue toothbrush. This is my liquid toothpaste. This is the sink area. The guards who are monitoring my every move say they're surprised by how quickly I've adopted typical inmate behavior. He's been stretching, pacing back and forth. So kind of typical behavior, actually, of what we see, minus the screaming and the yelling. This is my little solitaire. Just been getting sucked. Solitaire and solitaire. There are basically three kinds of inmates in here. Those who prefer it, which is rare, like Herschel Franklin, in for first-degree assault. I got breakfast in bed, lunch in bed. Dinner in bed, I got to worry about a bunch of other guys and their problems and their, their whatever, you know, I'm just dealing with me. This is no game. It's definitely not a game. Then there are those who are in here for their own protection, like my downstairs neighbor who is mentally ill. The other type of person who ends up in solitary? How do you plead to the charges? The rule breakers, like Dylan Head, captured here on jail cameras getting in a fight on the basketball court. 
I'm, I'm okay with giving them the 15 days. Yeah. As Dylan Head goes in. I'll think about it before I get into a fight next time. Harrison, just a couple of people go yeah. to the office. Jail officials invite me for a chat, a welcome relief from my stifling cell. On my way, I step around the pages of the Bible that my neighbor ripped up overnight. One of our worst nightmares would be to be in your situation where we were locked down like that. Really? Because we're, you know, we see this all the time, so we understand. This is our way of keeping people safe. We're worried about people getting hurt. And some of these folks in general population would be a danger to themselves and other inmates. And this is the best tool we have. As if to emphasize that point, our interview is interrupted by a horrifying noise. What is that? We'll show you what happened in a moment. Also coming up inside the cells with the other inmates. How do they get through the day? Well, there you have it. I'll tell you right now, and Natalie, I'm going to get your thoughts here in a moment. It's a bunch of hogwash. What you're telling me, on one breath you're saying that this is the most inhumane treatment of a human being. But then you turn around and say, this is our best course of action to keep someone safe. What in the world is a mentally ill person? If a regular person is having a, tr- having a problem, maintaining their sanity in solitary confinement, locked in a cell, you mean to tell me you're going to put somebody that's mentally ill, who doesn't have the capability to even take uh, what a normal human being w- is taking, what is a mentally ill person doing locked up in county jail? They're supposed to be at a hospital, somewhere to get some type of medical treatment. Natalie, your thoughts? So I think one of the big aspects of solitary confinement that people really need to be aware of is that it will take even the most hardened criminal, and it will, it will literally over a certain period of time, they will decline into psychosis. Even the, the toughest, hardcore person you'll ever meet, if they're in, in solitary confinement for longer than, I want to say, maybe a month, and that's being generous, they will become psychotic. And it's, you can see, and there's been many studies of this, there's been many you know, scientific studies um, that included brain scans and, and behavior analysis and stuff like that but you can even just the the officers standing there you can watch them over a period of time start to go crazy because they they act differently the, the a lot of the screaming at night that they made a point to share in that video um those are people that are that are going crazy they're not all they're not all just mad some of them are what? angry about the situation they're acting out because they're pissed but a lot of the screaming at night is is psychosis happening and um, you look at it, the, the biggest example I can think of is the Khalif Brown case, or Browning case from uh, New York, where he spent a, a large majority of his, I think it was three years at Rikers uh, in solitary confinement. And when he was finally released, he had become so psychotic in, in SEG that he ended up taking his own life. So it, it's a permanent change in the psyche of the person 
that I, I don't even think extensive therapy can fix after extended periods of time and say, and for them to say that this is the only option that they have to keep people safe, well, it's not because you can separate those with mental illness into you can create like a mental illness pod of, of people that are suffering from mental illness. You can have mental health staff regularly observing the pod or something. There's so many more options than locking someone away to be alone that can be utilized and are not. I mean, to make a statement, and you know, you and I, I agree with you as far as humanizing these people, uh, they're human beings. And right. when, he, when he made the statement, one of the deputies said, oh, we're used to this. We see this all the time. They become callous. So it's nothing for to see an inmate banging his head on a steel door where it's bleeding. Oh, this is right. we, we see it all the time. They've become uh, without feeling. And I, the point is, like you said, Natalie, and ladies and gentlemen of America, pay very close attention to this. We are sending our loved ones. Somebody's connected with somebody, whether it's their dad, their, their brother, their sister, whoever. You are sending these folks in solitary confinement to the death chamber. Because if a man leaves there and is so out of his mind from what you have just put him through, and he takes his own life, why don't someone tell me how that is keeping people safe? You've just killed a man, a woman. How is that keeping someone safe? That is the most ridiculous response that I've ever heard. Well, this, is, this helps keep people. You're killing people. Our criminal justice system, our prisons have become death chambers. Our county jails have become death chambers. And the saddest part to me, I don't care whether you're convicted or not, this treatment right here is inhumane. But one of the saddest things I've ever heard is county jail, where you are simply arrested because you've been accused of something. You haven't even been convicted of anything. But I go into county jail on an accusation, and according to the law, which is a joke, a presumption of innocence. This is how we treat those that we presume innocent. That makes no sense to me. That makes no sense to me. So if I'm presumed innocent, I go to the torture chamber. I'm going to tell you right now, in county jail, you're going to get in a fight. On prison yards across this country, you're going to get in a fight. I got to lock somebody in solitary confinement for almost 30 days because guess what? Let me, let me break it down for you about prison. It's a war zone. And you can be fighting every day just to be safe and to guard your life. But I'm going to be punished for trying to protect myself in the penitentiary or in county, in county lockup. Because if you don't, somebody else is going to abuse you. But nobody takes none of that into consideration while we levy out punishment. That's unheard of. It, 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 it makes my blood boil. And the fact that uh, some of these folks, as they said, are mentally ill. But you have no treatment plan for these people. Dennis, your thoughts? The only plan that's out there is, uh, is for incarceration. Uh, that's why our prisons are, you know, overflowing. 
because there is no plan. I mean, there there is no plan for reintegration uh, back into society. Uh, there is no plan. I mean, and and even if someone said there was, if you look at it, just like we talked about the uh, on, on the application, you know, them removing the you know the checkbox uh, if you were a felon or not, uh, that's not happening. I mean, because it's all about keeping people in a position to either get go back in well or, or never get out. And, and it's sad. I mean, you, you, you see how quick it takes our justice system to put someone in prison. It's amazing. Just like that. Try to get that person out, even if they are exonerated, even, even if they are found not guilty. See how long it takes to get that person out. That tells you that our justice system has a major problem. How we... How we, how we, uh, you know, put people in prison and how we get them out, and I, I don't care. It's, it's just ridiculous and crazy. And when, when I'm listening to you, you guys talk about, you know, all the deaths in prison, and and, and then the, the innocent, the, all the numerous exonerations, but yet we will not relook DNA evidence to clear an individual. Oh, and that's what he it's, said. It's, it's just crazy, and that tells you that. Uh, you know that compassion uh, in our in our society, in our government, in our uh, the way we treat each other is it, gone. Well, you heard the gentleman say in the in the last words of the people on death row. Now I don't know if you heard that part, and he said three people confessed. Wow, to the killing. Governor, we appeal to you to stop the execution and the killing of this inmate because he has asked the court. Please check the DNA. If I'm asking you to check the DNA, because DNA does not lie, and the prosecution will file a motion with the court saying we ask that this request be denied. Out of control. Are you kidding me? And for a judge to sit in a courtroom and grant that denial... He is culpable in the death and the killing of that inmate. Then they want to come back and say, well, we found out 30 years later, uh, this guy did not do it. He's dead. Are you kidding me? This is why, again, voice, the voice behind the wall has gone silent because our governors, our judges, our prosecutors, our correctional officers are all culpable. In a failed system. And we have people like you, Natalie, a correctional officer who was in this, saw it for yourself firsthand. And guess what? Right. And I think, I think one of the issues, one of the big things with, with false convictions and especially with this denial of, of testing the DNA for a third time, to them it's easier to, and it's, in, in their opinion, it's the better option, I say with quotes, to go ahead and execute someone that could potentially be innocent than admitting that you were wrong. And then having to spend all that money on, well, now we have to pay him restitution because he was in prison for X amount of time, and now we have to pay more money to try the person that actually did it. So them, it's just an easier and more convenient option to just go ahead with what they already did cover up their mistakes so that they don't have to admit and have the embarrassment of saying we screwed up. And so, yes. So that's a big, that's a big problem that 
prosecutorial departments everywhere are so keen on just getting convictions under their belt so they can get re reelected. They want to, you know, have all these perfect records. They want to be perceived as being tough on crime and they don't want to accept that they are human and they make mistakes. You know, everybody makes a mistake. If you made a mistake, that's fine. Admit to it, acknowledge it, fix your mistake and let's move forward from it. Right. They just want to brush it under the rug and move on, you know, and let's and let's be clear on one point. The system has failed not because all judges or all prosecutors are guilty of this type of behavior. As we said once, we'll say it again. We got some good judges out there that are out here doing the right thing. We got good prosecutors out here that will admit to a mistake and say, you know what? We made an error here. Let's try to fix it. So let us be very clear as we address these horrors. They're not all bad out there. But I'll tell you what, the people that are bad, again, if a judge sits on a bench and allows the denial of DNA when it's in his power to grant that DNA test to be done and make the prosecution do it, that particular judge has a problem. That particular prosecutor who says, I'm going to fight DNA, even though it's no harm to test the DNA, it's no harm to do that. But let us be very clear, and I want to make that point very clear. We're not talking all judges, all prosecutors, all correctional officers. In every industry in this country, you have the good, you have the bad. The sad part in our criminal justice system, in our prisons, in our jails, the bad is highlighted so much because people are dying. People are losing their lives. People are getting beaten and tortured in our system, in our jails, where at least when you go in, you, can, you usually should be able to be assured, I'll be safe until I go to trial. If I can't afford bond, at least I'll be protected. We're losing that confidence. The, the system has lost the confidence of the American people. The families who have suffered through the grief of a loved one dying in custody, whether it's prison or jail, tanks the whole system. And it makes the judges and the prosecutors and the attorneys that are doing the right thing, it makes their job a heck of a lot harder. We're going to address that on the other side of the break, but I wanted to make that point very clear. Uh, This isn't everybody. we got some good people out there that are fighting, and Natalie, you are one of the good with the correct being a correctional officer that says, look, I worked in the system, but you know what? I hated what I saw, and I decided to say something about it. There are many of you out there, and we salute all of our judges, our prosecutors, our correctional officers, our wardens who, won, who are running prisons and saying, look, that's not going to happen on my watch. We're going to do something about what we're saying, and I think that needs to be emphasized as well. The other side of the break now, we're going to come back uh, talking about Michael Anderson. We're going to be addressing some of that. And his killing there at Florence Prison and the offer by prison officials to take care of the funeral arrangements in the, in the uh, act of cremation raises a high question. <laughs> we'll be right back. This is AJC Radio. Voices from behind the wall. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that, life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid 
should they ever be faced with, especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation You can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call or just calls today. 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. I wanted to be in the military since I was was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. You got to find that link with somebody, it'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. Here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to one out of 17. Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are one out of three. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated, but one thing is clear. There's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons and in federal prisons. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. I've been getting mixed messages about women and violence. I need a little clarification. Uncle Bill, how am I supposed to grow up to respect women when I have such lousy role models? Boys are never going to approach you. Can you help me reshape my attitude towards women? 
You need to teach them that violence against women is wrong. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation, costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. can kill a friendship. Ladies and gentlemen of America, if you're wondering where you tune into tonight, if you're just joining us, Voices Behind the Wall, the horror stories continue as we really take the mask off a facade system that gives the appearance that our inmates, our loved ones, our folks in our jails and our prisons are getting adequate medical care. They're being treated fairly. They get three meals a day. They have an opportunity to get a little bit of sunlight. And uh, it's all good. It's not really that bad as they are addressed with punishment from our system. I'll tell you right now, what I've just told you is completely false. It does not work that way. It's not happening that way. Statistics show the suicide among inmates continues to grow. The abuse of guards abusing inmates continue to grow. And the folks on death row, many of those cases have come back that these men were innocent. But they've been executed by a nation and a system. That continues to fail. And Natalie, uh, thank you for coming back with us as we dig more into this conversation and we get your perspective on these things. We're very appreciative of that as we continue this discussion. Thanks for coming back with us. You're welcome. Okay. And and what we're going to do, Natalie, right now, uh, we're going to bring on a special guest joining us tonight. Her name is Billy Anderson. She's the mother of a gentleman that we talked about uh, before the break, Michael Anderson, who was actually, uh, we, we really believe, was killed in that prison in Florence, Colorado, uh, while he was in solitary confinement. We did a press release on it. We're going to dig a little bit into that, but we're going to hear her tell the story. Not only did she lose her son, Michael Anderson, but her grandson, who took his life after hearing about his father's death. He couldn't deal with the pain. His father was looking forward to getting out, getting with him. He had about two years or so left on his sentence. 
the young the grandson of Billy took his life because he missed his father and could not continue. That is a tragedy. Somebody must be held accountable for that. And as I said earlier, has never given information to Billy uh, as far as the cause of death. Offered to, uh, to cremate the body of her son. We're going to get into that. And uh, it's new to me that the Department of Corrections offers funeral services and expenses paid uh, in the uh, Department of Corrections. Billy, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Billy, thank you so much for joining us tonight and, and for sharing your story. Uh, as I told our listeners before, and, and Natalie is a uh, young lady that joined us the other night. She talks, she's the founder of Prison Lives Matter. Uh, she's going to uh, listen to the conversation as well as we talk uh, tonight and uh, talk about uh, Michael uh, and also your grandson as well. And, Billy, how are things going thus far? I know we talked today, uh, and my understanding is you still have not been given the cause of death. It's 2018. Uh, this was 2015, correct? Right, yeah. They They still – claim it was suicide, but uh, the coroner said it did not look like suicide, and if I could get a lawyer to take my case, uh, you know, I'd probably win, because uh, they, he felt it was murder. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, Go ahead, Billy. I'm sorry. Go ahead. And, and uh, Anyway, uh, I tried to get the prison to talk to me they will not they would not talk to me they finally just started hanging up on me and calling me names and stuff and I just never got any satisfaction from them at all um all I know is Andy is dead and they did pay for him to be cremated they they wanted him uh cremated as soon as possible and unfortunately my ex-husband uh, went ahead and went along with him and, and let him let him cremate him and that and um, I, I know it's because they didn't want us to you know dig any deeper and that let me, but, yeah, it, let me ask you a question Billy and thanks for confirming that and, and I tell you what it just calls we will be looking uh, into this even further uh Natalie, have you ever heard of a prison offering cremation services to someone who has a family that would take um, the I haven't. I haven't, but I have heard many stories of prisons using different methods to try to hide what really was going on. Like, um, uh, for example, the the example I was talking about on Tuesday about the man who passed away nine days into a sentence up in Dallas, they tried to keep the body from the family as long as possible so that they could hide what it was that they were doing. It, it's kind of pretty much a, a cover-up ploy. They just want to brush everything under the rug. They'll probably um, declare his, his passing of natural causes, and then that's the way they get away with it. They declared um, the the gentleman in Texas. They they had the coroner report say that he passed away of natural causes, when in reality he baked to death for nine days. Um, so I no, I personally I've never heard of of prisons offering funeral services or cremation. Um, but I'm I can't say I'm surprised about it. That's unbelievable. Go ahead, Billy. You know. We could not, uh, it took us hours and hours and hours to find Andy's 
where Andy's body was. They would not tell us anything after they sent him out, you know, and that they, I mean, my ex-husband had the family get really, really mad before they would tell us where Andy was and so that we could get him brought back down, you know, down to Cheyenne where we live. Um, and then uh, they they would tell us nothing, you know, absolutely nothing about where he was or anything. Well, and, and I surprised I surprised them by uh, going ahead and having him involved in stuff and went up and visited him before he came on before he was cremated and that. And Andy had bruises all over him and and that and you could see where they had had a handcuff on him on one of his arms, you know, and where it was real tight and he was he had bruises all over. I know they killed him. I know they did. Oh, I have no doubt about that. And according to Billy, uh you stated you spoke with your son on the phone the day before he died. He said that the guards told him they were going to have somebody in the yard shake him. He said they were going to keep him in solitary for six months or longer. He only had two yeah. years. Two years. Yeah, left. and see, I, I was up there. I went up there to visit him, uh, and one one day he was not in the hall, and the next day he was in the hall, and he was scared to death. You know, the next day they let me see him for about an hour, and he was scared to death. And he says, "Mama, please go tell him I need some help. I I need some help that they're threatening me." And he was scared out of his mind. You know, that is horrific. Go ahead, Billy. And, and uh, Andy was a very nice guy, but they made it so you know nobody would have anything to do with him in the prison. None of the other prisoners or anything. They they told him that they told the other prisoners he was a rat and everything else, and just stay away from him. And and they just isolated Andy totally. We called him Andy. His his real name was Michael, but we called him Andy, and they isolated him totally. kept him kept other people from being near him and and stuff. They they made him a total outcast. They are so there was something. I don't know what was going on, but there was something going on from the day one he went into that camp up there. And, and he, I mean, like. He was just in in the camp. He was a nonviolent offender, and uh, you know what they did to that that, that guy is just un, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you what states here that uh, inmates that have been in prison camps state that other prison camps are nothing like Florence. It is far from being a camp. The Florence facility is listed as America's number one worst prison, according to the article on the Mother Jones site. You may want to go out there and check that out. Search Mother Jones. And they talk about, because it's not run like a camp. you got medium and high facilities, higher security facilities that run safer than Florence prison. And I believe exactly Uh what you're saying in regards to this man. He was in the hole. And then what they, it sounds like what they did is torment this man, put him back on the yard, because now you've threatened that you're telling other inmates to shake him, to kill him. That yeah. doesn't happen. He goes back to the hole and, and ends up dead? Yeah. Ends up dead. 
Tell us a little bit, Billy, about your grandson and what he went through when this happened. Well, uh, that was about a month later. Travis, uh, he just couldn't. He just couldn't live without his dad. He just had. He said he had nothing to live for. And then uh, one day he was there, and the next day we found a note, and he said that he loved us all, but he wanted to be with his father, and he he shot himself in the head. And um, he just, you know, him and his dad were very, very close. And uh, uh, Travis was, um, I don't, or Trevor was just, I don't know, he just couldn't live without his father, you know. Yeah. He was a good kid, a real good kid and, and that, but he just, he said he didn't have anything to live for after his dad died. So sorry to hear that. And uh, Natalie, when you hear that, I mean, this is a real tragedy. And and we're talking about so many of them. And Billy, our thoughts and prayers are continually with your family. And I'll tell you what, a just cause will continue to dig into this even further uh, and get some information sent up to the Bureau of Prisons and file complaints, whatever we got to do, that an investigation, and we hopefully we can hit, reach uh, members of Congress to take a look at the untimely death of your son and hold people accountable for what they have done. And we're going to definitely call out the cremation uh, offer uh, by I mean, yeah. never that. And this is a cover-up. There's no other way to say it. Natalie, when you hear that, how does that affect you? I'm sure it hits you straight in the heart. I mean, it's heartbreaking. Nobody deserves to die, uh, you know, in prison, especially somebody who's there for a nonviolent charge who was scheduled to be released in, in the relatively near future. I mean, it's it's just sad. You have people, there, you know, there's a group of, of inmates that go to prison and they genuinely try to rehabilitate themselves and they genuinely try to get reintegrated with society and the system just holds them back. And for them to die, you know, in, in prison for something that is completely unnecessary and unwarranted, I, I can almost guarantee you that the officers that are responsible for this had some sort of vendetta or they just wanted to feel that they wanted to assert their authority or just act macho or whatever because I can do whatever I want to do because I have a badge on my chest. And it's, and it's the, the fact that they are so easily able to get away with it that kind of empowers them to do it again. And so it, I fear that that um, this isn't the only case and this isn't going to be the last case, not specifically from that institution and, and more generally from all over the country. But it's, it's definitely a heartbreaking story to hear and it's trying to imagine what it must have been like is just mind-boggling for me. Yeah, it's something that uh, it just shouldn't have happened. And to go to those lengths, again, these folks are acting like they're above the law because our system has allowed them to do so. Right. People to do these things. And how do you not tell a grieving mother where the body of her son is? Except you got something to hide. You're hiding something. Right. And it should not be happening. And, um, Billy, we're going to be diligently looking into this matter further. Uh, You have my number. Uh, I'm going to definitely stay in touch with you. 
Uh, how's the other family members hanging in there? How are they doing? Well, the, most of them are doing real good. His father still isn't doing real good, you know. He's uh, kind of um, withdrawn since Andy died. And, um, well, his brother is doing better in that. And uh, his two stepdaughters, uh, one of them's doing pretty good, and the other one's just gone wild, you know. Um, and his, well, his wife... She's just she's just um, gone totally to hell, you know. She just I guess she thinks she has nothing to live for, and she just she she drinks and everything, you know. I haven't seen her in in several years, you know. And uh, but uh, you know we're coming along a lot better than we were a year ago. A year ago, you know, none of us were very good, and um, I mean, uh, yeah. But it is just uh, something I don't want to tell people. If you think the prisoners eat good, uh, Andy told me, and this may be something that, uh, but he worked in the kitchen one day, and he opened a box that said "not for human consumption." That's what they're feeding those prisoners. Something that's not for human consumption. I mean, the prisoners are treated really bad. No, I, I, I just want. Yeah, no, go ahead, Billy. I, I just want people to know anyone who thinks that they've got a cushy life up there in, in Florence, um, Colorado, they surely don't. I mean, they they feed them, you know. <laughs> Stuff that's green, stuff that's not for human consumption, and I um, mean, they they treat them really horribly. And when they send Andy's stuff back to us, you know, none of his things were there. It was everybody else. I mean, everyone took his things and and uh, you know just threw their things in in the box, and that's what came back to us. You know, we didn't we got none of his things back. You know. So sorry that you have dealt with that, Billy. Uh, um, we appreciate your story. We appreciate your courage in the midst of your grief that has to be, and I'm grateful you're doing better. But justice must be rendered in the case of the murder of yourself. It must be. Uh, we're going to attack it. Uh, I did have a colleague, well, a friend of mine uh, who just asked me if there was anybody that had, was dealing with BOP issues. Uh, I'm going to forward this story and this press release to him tonight. Uh, and he's very well connected with attorneys that may very well pick up this case. So let me oh. uh, do, what, let us do what we can uh, to help find justice for your son and your grandson and your entire family. That is our intention with Thank our question. Okay. Thank you so much. Yes. Yes. I'd appreciate it so much. No, you're very welcome, Billy. And we're going to be in touch with you. I don't want to hold you much longer. Thank you for taking time tonight out of your schedule. Get some rest and know that uh, Just Cause is fighting on your behalf uh, for justice for your son. We appreciate you so very much. And give, give your family and everybody our best. All right. Thank you so much, Lamont. Okay, you're welcome. Take care. Nice. Well, there you have it. Natalie, we're going to come back. I'd like to get your closing thoughts, if I can, on this show. This is, this is overwhelming. And 
the act, the grief of a mother to go ignored as her son's voice can, cannot be heard because they were ignoring, and, and they do it today. They ignore the voices behind the wall. And when he said to, to Billy, help me, please help me, Mom. She said he was scared to death. Literally, they killed this man. Michael Anderson, uh, unbelievable, unbelievable. Ladies and gentlemen, Natalie, we'll be right back. We're going to get your thoughts, closing thoughts on this. This is AJC Radio, Voices from Behind the Wall. Michael Anderson murdered Florence Prison Camp in Colorado. A disgrace, a cover-up, cremation services offered free of charge to help build and work on that cover-up. Unheard of. We'll be right back. This is AJC Radio. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855 855- 529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A Just Cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Let's just be honest. When we look across the street to the Supreme Court and we see equal justice under law. Um, When you have drug laws so severely, disparately enforced against some groups, let's let's take African-Americans, for example, there's no difference between black and white marijuana usage or marijuana sales, in fact. But blacks are about 3.7 times more likely to be arrested for it. Um, African-Americans are more likely to get uh, mandatory minimums, are more likely about 13, to get 13% longer sentences. And it's created these jagged disparities in incarceration. In my state, blacks are about 13, 14% of the population. They make up over 60% of the prison population. And remember, the overall majority of people we arrest in America are nonviolent offenders. Now you've got this, this disparity in the arrest, but that creates disparities that painfully fall all along the system. When you get arrested uh, for possession with intent to sell, do it in inner city, now you're within a school zone. So now you have faced an even higher mandatory minimum. Now you're 19 years old with a felony conviction, possession, intent to sell in a school zone. Forget even all that. You just have a felony conviction for possession. What do you face now? Thousands of collateral consequences that will dog you for the rest of your life. You can't get a Pell Grant. You can't get business licenses. You can't get a job. You're hungry, can't get food stamps. Uh, you need some place to live, you can't even get public housing. And what that does is created within our country concentrated areas where you have massive levels of men being incarcerated. You create a caste system in which people feel like they, there's no way out. And we're not doing anything as a society like we know we could do because there's tons of pilot programs that show 
if you help people when they are coming back from a nonviolent offense, that their recidivism rates go dramatically down. If you don't help them, what happens is left with limited options. Many people make a decision to go back into that world of, of narcotics sales. Uh, uh, what's more dangerous to society? Someone smoking marijuana in the privacy of their own home or somebody going 30 miles over the speed limit, racing down a road in, in a community? What is more dangerous to society? But yet that teenager who makes a mistake for doing things the last three presidents admitted to doing, now they have a felony conviction because it's more likely they're going to get caught. And for the rest of their life, they're 29, 39, 49, 59, they're still paying for a mistake they made as a teenager. Now, that's not the kind of society uh, that I believe in, nor is it fiscally responsible. Nor It's undermining their productivity, undermining their ability to take care of their family. This is so wrong that those conversations that I'm having with conservatives as well as uh, Democrats uh, are resonating. And so when you have people like Rand Paul standing up and talking about racial disparities in incarceration, this convergence and understanding uh, of fiscal conservatives, of Christian conservatives, of libertarians, shows me that this is a time of great hope for our country. And so I'm not going to question people's motives. This is one of those issues like the civil rights movement in the 1960s, which should pull all Americans together to say enough is enough. There's a lot of mud when it rains here, and it makes it really hard to find food. There are car bombs every day. My mom worries about me when I go out. Every time I hear the alarm bell go off in school, I think it's an air raid. Sometimes I have nightmares about it. A lot of houses in our neighborhood have been destroyed. I like to close my ears and sing songs whenever the bombs come close. My dad says we have to leave, which makes me scared. I'm worried our new neighbors won't like us. What if they don't understand our religion? Because we don't speak the language, it might be hard for me to make friends. But I know it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be worth it. I just want my family to be safe. But these are not my words. These are not my words. These are not my words. to affordability and say hello to losing control. Discover Price Gougesol, the latest outrageously expensive drug from Big Pharma. It's impossible to afford and reverses the ability to pay other bills. Because drug companies raise prices to pay for commercials like this one, side effects may include overdrawn bank accounts, bad credit scores, higher health care costs, children who don't get Christmas presents, and in some cases, the need to stop taking your medicine. If you experience any of these side effects, contact your financial advisor right away. Out-of-control drug costs are no joke. Yet nine of the 10 biggest pharma companies spend more on advertising than research and development. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit csrxp.org. You're broken down and tired of living life 
on the merry-go-round. Ladies and gentlemen of America, welcome to the Voices Behind the Wall series, an indefinite series going on here at AJC Radio and the Just Cause organization. There comes a time in life where we have to rise up. We rise up for the families tonight of the victims of those that have suffered behind the wall, whether it be a beating, a stabbing, any type of abuse. And what we've learned tonight, killings, murders. We rise up to be a voice for those that are voiceless, those that have lost their voice as a result of a system that has attempted to stifle them. You become that voice. And we're joined tonight by a young lady that is doing something to make a difference. Former correctional officer, founder of Prison Lives Matter, Natalie Cohen. Great deal of respect for you, for what you're doing, and for being a part of this discussion and a part of this effort to tell the American people the truth of what's happening behind the wall. Natalie, I wanted to give you an opportunity and respect for your time tonight. We're so appreciative uh, of you coming on our show. What do we do here? We've got a lot more shows that are going to be coming here with this topic. How do we get people involved and really get people outraged about what we're talking about on this program and we will continue to talk about? Because these are people's loved ones. These are people's families that are being slaughtered behind the walls of prisons in this country. What do we, what do we say uh, to the American people tonight on this? I think the biggest thing is exposure. I mean, honestly, one of the biggest reasons why this problem has been able to get as big as it has is because people are just so blissfully naive to what's actually going on in the walls. Um, if you have a family or a friend that's incarcerated in there, you kind of have an idea based on what they share with you. But anybody else, you know, prior to getting a job with the department, I really didn't know myself Um, because everything is just so, such a foreign concept. You know, you, in Texas, there's certain areas of the state where you see prisons everywhere. And then there's certain areas of the state where you don't see any. So it's kind of out of sight, out of mind type thing. So the biggest issue, not, not necessarily issue, but the biggest, hurdle is exposure that people really need to get a full understanding of of just how bad it really is in there not just not just inmate deaths not just the heat but the the conditions of the buildings the conditions of the food of the 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 job sites you know the the work conditions for the inmate jobs um correctional staff attitudes the the administration corruption needs to be exposed. Everything has just been kept so neatly wrapped up in a secret little package by all these departments everywhere that it needs to just be unwrapped and, and the world needs to see what's actually happening. Yes. No, I agree with you, uh, Natalie, on that. And look, we're going to work together uh, to expose this, this behavior. Because I'm going to tell you right now, had I not been in the position I'm in here to just cause and the families that we have come in contact with and the injustice that the RP five have suffered, we would have never known in reality about these issues. 
we are aware of these issues because we are living these issues. And as a result of that, as an advocacy organization, people are crying out for help. And it's, and I'll tell you oh, what. Yeah, and it's, yes. Go ahead, Natalie. Well, one of the things is that a lot of times when inmates are released, they're so traumatized by it that they really don't want to talk about it. I mean, I had a, a family member of mine who was in and out of incarceration for a long time for a drug problem. Um, growing up, we kind of knew that, that this particular family member was incarcerated, but we never asked anything about it. And when they got out, they didn't say, say anything about it. So they didn't really ask because we didn't want to push the wrong buttons. And so it's really up to these advocacy organizations to really be the voice of the people that are just so traumatized or too traumatized to share their story or the people that their stories were cut short due to, you know, early deaths or or whatever it may be. There's a lot of reasons why voices are being silenced. It's not just, you know, prison brutality or, or their unfortunate passing, but it's, it's a plethora of, of reasons and mental demons that they have to face themselves that everybody needs to step in and help. Absolutely right. And thank you, Natalie. We're going to be in touch again offline. We're going to, next week we're looking to bring some family members of some of the stories we told tonight on this program to get their perspective, get their thoughts, and to hear their voice as they speak for the loved ones that have been injured, that have been killed and abused behind the wall of America's prisons. I want to thank you so much for taking time again out of your busy day for what you do, uh, for being a part of this discussion. You're welcome anytime uh, on our show in regards to your perspective as these topics, these stories will be running every Tuesday and Thursday night until we saturate this country with the truth and be the voice for those behind the wall. Thank you so very much, and we look forward to talking to you again. Thank you for having me. Take care. Have a great evening. You as well. Thank you. And there you have it. Natalie Cohen, what a example, uh, William, of, of true spirit, if you will, of, of really indignation and a voice to say, look, I walk the halls of these prisons. I'm aware of exactly what's going on there and has the courage to stand up and say, I do not agree and I'm not going to be a part of something that is so cruel. And you know what? That's, that's, it's such an encouraging thing. And, and, and I imagine there have got to be others that are out there mm-hmm. that, expe- that experienced that and said, listen, what they've seen said I can't, I can't be a part of. And, and we need to hear from them. We need to hear their voice. Because they're the ones that are standing there, and they've seen these these cruel acts, um, and and uh, we need to hear their side. We need to hear them share their stories. Because until people hear this, and they and they they hear more and more these stories, then they'll start to believe. Yes, this is really going on. Because I think yeah. I think people right now uh, they. They don't want to believe it or whatever they want to believe, but this is reality, and her experience is true, and people need to understand it need to hear it. Yeah, and we're going to actually have an opportunity next week uh, to play, uh, and I don't know which day that's going to fall, but we're going to play the entire interview for the family members of Michael Anderson, who actually came on this show and was on a panel here talking about the horror, the, the horror of the wife 
going down to the to the prison to visit Michael and was refused and set hours. He died that morning in that cell or was excuse me, was killed that morning. And she's there for a visit. And it took hours for them to come out and say, hey, your husband's not here. They covered it even while she stood in line to visit her husband. Uh, this is some this is some stuff that has to be dealt with. Uh, we're going to go to a clip right now uh, in regards to an, a correctional officer shooting inmate through a cell door. You're joking, right? Absolutely not. Let's see what they had to say. Attorneys from a man suffering from mental illness say what you're about to see never should have happened. He was in the Pasco County Jail for a misdemeanor probation violation, alone in his cell when he was shot. Fox 13's investigative reporter Tina Jensen has the rest of the story and some dramatic video recorded by one of the corrections officers who was there. Tell us more, Tina. Right, and that shooting was first reported in the Tampa Bay Times this morning. It left Matthew Trevino in the VA hospital for months, where he underwent multiple surgeries. And a warning, what happened is hard to watch. The day Matthew Trevino arrived at the Pasco County Jail, he was alone in his cell when deputies wanted to search him. But Trevino, according to his attorney, who provided Fox 13 with this jail video, was in the midst of a schizophrenic episode and would not put his hands through the door. A NOVA round was created for situations like SWAT teams breaking into buildings. It's a distraction device, like a flashbang grenade, but fired from a shotgun. The company's own warnings say it's not supposed to be used to fire at humans or even animals. There's no reason at this point that they have to force their way in to the cell. This is not an emergency situation. They certainly don't need to use this level of force. Later, when the officers file their reports, they claim that Mr. Trevino had backed away from the door and that the round ricocheted off the floor and struck him, which is just 100% false. And you can see it in the video as we continue. You can, you can see that when he fired at him, he was right up against the door. Completely unnecessary. Sheriff Chris Nocco in a statement called Trevino a man with a violent history whose failure to comply dictated their actions. Trevino has no violent crime conviction. Were these deputies aware that he had an illness? I don't know how you wouldn't be aware of it. He is absolutely having a schizophrenic break, and, and the, the statements he's making are bizarre. Trevino's attorney said none of the officers have been disciplined for the incident. There was a finding essentially that because there was no actual policy in place on using this round or how to use it, no policies were violated. So therefore, no discrimination. State Attorney Bernie McCabe didn't respond to questions about whether his office has looked into any criminal charges. Trevino's lawyers plan to file a lawsuit in federal court. You've got to absolutely be kidding me right now. How do officers, again, another mentally ill patient, you're yelling at this man to raise his hands. He is schizophrenic. He can't. You decide that, Cliff, and I want to get your thoughts. 
to basically throw a grenade in a cell. Can you help me with this? Yeah, how do you how do they even have that weapon in a in a jail? I mean this is this is not a rubber bullet. What? This is not a firecracker. This is not uh tear gas or mace. You're talking about this is something that SWAT teams use to breach a building. A grenade coming out of a shotgun shell and you shoot a human being with that. And then they try to cover up and say, no, it bounced off the floor. There is no reason for that weapon to be using. You're talking about one person. This isn't, they're acting like, oh, yeah, we got Al-Qaeda inside the uh, jail cell armed. Armed. You shoot a flashbang at one person and then say, since there's no policy in place for this weapon, no policy was violated. Well, I guess there's probably no policy in uh, place for a bazooka rocket in the prison either. So if you shoot an inmate with that, no policy violated there, huh? If you come in there with a fighter jet, a F-15 on the grounds, and you start shooting everybody with 50 cal uh, rounds, no, no policy violated because there is no policy for a uh, a fighter jet in the federal in the uh, in a in a jail. How does that make sense that the that the uh, the head of the police are, is saying no policy was violated because no policy is in place? These are the type of type of things that the the public has to attack to say, okay, there's no policy in place. All that says to me, no policy in place is saying that weapon should not have been there, that that weapon should not even been on the ground. If you don't have policy in place for weapons, that's like pulling a tank up into the into the uh, jail, shooting everybody on the yard and say uh, no policy was violated because there is no policy about having a tank. Give me a break, please. Dennis, uh, let me get your thoughts as a veteran we talk a lot about how things happen in war or combat and what policy procedures are. You have an unarmed man who is mentally ill. I can tell you the most of what he has in that cell is some boxers, some t-shirts and a jumpsuit and some toothpaste and a toothbrush. You fire a grenade and you want to justify the actions of these officers? This is why these officers were laughing when we talked Tuesday night and said, we're not, they're not going to do anything to us. This man, what is he doing in county jail? Schizophrenic. What is he doing there? And what is he doing in general population? If, if he committed a, some crime... And they realize that he had um, uh, some type of mental problem. Why is he not at the hospital in the psych ward? What is he doing locked up in general population like like uh, he's a criminal when he's having a psychotic break? This man needs uh, hospitalization. He needs professional medical help not to be in a jail and get shot by a grenade out of a out of a shotgun. Dennis. And then again, I mean, when you look at that, I mean, what? What about the use of force? I mean, like I said, when I was in the military, we was taught uh, there were certain instances and in how you use force. I mean, deadly force. And if you're going to pull a trigger, uh, there's a possibility that someone could die. Uh, that's considered deadly force. Was deadly force needed in that instance? Uh, I don't believe so. Well, here's what uh, they could have just they could have stormed, you know, stormed the, the cell itself because and, and took the man down. 
Uh, there was no need for anything to be fired. I don't care what it was. I, even a rubber bullet didn't have to be fired. Let me tell you this. There were people in prison, guards on rooftops at some of the penitentiaries I was at doing my wrongful conviction, that had guns with rubber bullets if a riot was to break out, a rubber rubber whatever they call it. They use rubber balls or whatever. And I promise you, they don't hit lightly. Uh, the issue is you shot through a steel door. This man's not even coming at you, but you felt a need to throw a grenade in his cell, basically. And he skips, you're yelling at this man. That's as bad as these we talked about before. You got a guy in a wheelchair that cops take to the ground out of his chair to the ground. He can't walk. Quit resisting. He's in a wheelchair. This is, this is what our culture is becoming. And it's happening behind the wall. What about that mother that heard about this? If she heard anything. You know, I was, I was listening to that, and I, I had to look this up real quick because I had never heard anything about that round. But the, this, this, the description of the round that they said that they used, it says, can cause significant injury or even be lethal if aimed directly at a target at close range. Now, you're talking about, but it, this is a 12-gauge round that is a, that's basically a flashbang that is coming out of a, of a rifle, you know, at, at speeds. And, it, and you talk about, and they were, they were saying in that clip, he was at the door, so you could tell he was at close range. Right. And you're going to fire this into an enclosed environment with one person. And it says that it can be lethal. This is insane. And we've heard, we didn't hear the story on the news. No. Now, had that been pointed at a school door, and make no mistake about it, school violence is horrible. And it needs to be dealt with accordingly. But when do lives stop mattering? When do the mentally ill get treatment and help? Why you put them in a seven five by seven twelve cell, and you lock them up? He's schizophrenic, which means he can have a psychotic break at any time. You lock him in a room to himself, and then you're you're, you're supervising him by people who do, can't identify they with the middle. Well, and they can't they can't identify, they can't treat, they don't know what they're looking at, and so their first reaction is violence. You know, they're sitting there saying, well, violence begets violence. So he's acting irrational. I'm going to act irrational. Mm -hmm. That is not the right way of thinking. This person has, they're going through a a psychotic episode. And it's it's hard for them. I mean, their whole perspective on reality has changed. Everything has changed. These people, these guards are, they're taking their laws and lives into their own hands and Without any ramifications for their actions, like you said, the guards were laughing on the clip on Tuesday, laughing. Hey, we're going to get no one's going to do anything to us. Well, they have a reason to feel that way because nothing's getting done. Yeah, nothing's getting done. No, no one. There's no checks and balances in the system, outside or behind the wall. How is that possible? How is that? How is that? How is that possible? When you have the Bureau of Prisons in Washington D.C. who is to oversee the conduct that is going on at the federal prisons in this country. 
you have governors who have been elected to address the issues of state prisons. And they are, not all of them, a number of them are doing nothing. And we continue to fill body bags of our loved ones in a place which you would never think Death would come at the hand of an officer with a badge. And that's, I was just going to say, we've seen that with the DOJ. So the same thing, we're seeing two of the largest departments in our country that are un, just allowing unsupervised activity. So we're seeing, we're seeing black, black men in the streets dying at the hands of police officers. Now we're seeing it, and we, we have been seeing it behind bars. It, like you said, it's just not called on news. Well, let's talk about Maricopa County jail abuse. Let's play that clip. Two Maricopa County detention officers charged with felony assault tonight after being caught on tape attacking inmates in the psychiatric ward. All new at 10, Rudabay Shabazi explains what else one of the officers is accused of. In this surveillance video released by the sheriff's office, detention officer Kevin Gerster is seen walking into inmate Michael Flores' cell and punching him in the jaw last June. The inmate was medicated and in the psychiatric ward, his arms and legs tied to the bed. The information he gave us was not entirely accurate all the time, so it created a lot of obstacles for the detectives to follow up. Even while the Flores case was on a chief's desk, Gerster was caught in this video, jumping up on the table and crushing the neck of another psych inmate, William Hughes who was restrained in handcuffs, a spit mask, a belly chain, and leg iron. A second officer, Alan Kesey, forces his head back down on the table as he tries to get up. Gerster then comes back and punches the inmate four times in the head. Of course, I would have loved them, the detectives, to be able to solve the inmate Flores case the instant they get it. But that's not how the real world works. And that's not all. Back in September, Gerster allegedly used his position to look up a former inmate's address for a friend who then went to the home and was charged with assaulting two people. A friend came to him and says, somebody's having an affair with my wife. He's a former inmate. Can you find out where this guy lives? And while the sheriff's office acknowledges the assault, they say there's no way to monitor all their officers' activities. It's very difficult when you have, what, 700 and 900 videos to go through thousands. Of, we'd have to hire 30 people just to go through videos. Gerster is behind bars. Kesey is charged with aggravated assault, but will not be arrested and booked. Right now, he's on paid administrative leave. The other people there who did nothing to stop the assaults may face internal investigation and discipline as well. Rudabay Shabazi, ABC 15 News. So what you're telling me is that the value of st- Standing up, kicking and stomping the neck of an inmate is not worth the time of looking through 30, hiring 30 people to go through videos. Are, are you are you kidding me? I mean, this 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 idiot is justifying the uh, the actions of these officers. Did saying, well, you know, that's a lot of stuff to go through. That's your job, fool. And if you don't do it and you need to hire some more people, then hire them. So there, there's, no, uh, there's no remorse 
no no feeling of responsibility that oh we let these people we let these other humans get injured he's not even caring that well we got to hire 30 people well hire them spend them up you're not spending money on anything else your air conditioning pigs and cows and and leaving men to roast to death but you let you let people in the psych ward who have psychiatric mental issues then they're chained to a bed and you have these cowards going in attacking them and your response is well i would have to hire more people he needs to lose his job and be brought up on charges and all the officers that were involved they all need to be brought up on charges this is totally ridiculous well and if i'm not mistaken is it a pile that's our piles jail who's running for a seat in washington dc for congress so let me make sure I'm clear on this. He allows the assault of the in the this is what's sick. The psych ward. They're medically supposed to be observed, medically, supposed to be having a psychologist come in and work through the issues with those that have these issues. But you're gotta you have them tied down, chained with a Around their stomach, around their feet, and let me hold on. Let's add to it. Let me try to crush your neck to death while you're in this ward. You've got to be, and I and I don't mean that kidding. This is insanity, and they have no voice. And you have a sheriff or pile coming out. Wow, this would take thirty uh, new people to go through all that video. That's your job. But the problem is you shouldn't be in the job. If that's your attitude, you have no business being there. But again, the American people are left in the dark. This type of behavior, this type of abuse, I'm going to say it again as I said Tuesday night. We haven't even gotten started. We haven't even began yet of the stories. Hundreds, if not thousands, of abuse behind the wall. It's just a few. AJC Radio Just Calls will be that voice as we fight for justice for these men and women. We're going to address the issue next week about women being chained to their beds, giving birth. Officers, male officers in women's prisons raping the women. Somebody's mother getting raped. Somebody's sister. Somebody's grandmother. Because we have a system that has tried to silence the voice of the victims. So next time, America, Voices from Behind the Wall continues next Tuesday. Good night, America. We'll see you next time. Now, uh, one of the things I wanted to uh, hit on is I want to talk a little bit about prison rape. And prison rape is something that uh, so many people have become accustomed to making jokes about. Uh, But what I really want to help you understand is that this is not something that should be made fun of. This is not something that is funny. This is something that's very serious. And one of the things I will say is that 
I think that part of the reason that we think prison rape is funny or we overlook it or we don't think it's an issue is twofold. One, uh, typically abuse toward black people is not considered to be as serious as abuse uh, if, if it were happening to, say, young white kids. For example, a young white woman gets kidnapped or, or gets uh, you know raped or something like that. It's national news. Everybody wants to talk about it. Dan- Nancy Grace is going crazy. But uh, 10,000 black men get raped in prison. Nobody says a word. Nobody gives a damn. Uh, sexual assault on college campuses has become this huge issue where they're using these crazy inflated statistics about, uh, you know, how many how many people are being assaulted. And they broaden the definition of sexual assault so they can incarcerate as many people as possible, which um, to some extent is OK in the sense that you're if you're catching real predators, I'm OK with that. But what's so interesting is that nobody cares about catching the predators who are raping prison inmates, uh, many of whom are not uh, the dastardly animals that you've been led to believe. They are. Uh, I think, and I think that leads to the second reason that we tend to overlook prison rape and think that it's not a problem. Uh, we tend to think prison rape's okay because society has taught us that people who go to prison are just bad people. That basically, if you go steal a, a jar of cookies and you get locked up for a year, then you're a bad person, which therefore means you deserve whatever punishment, whatever penalty happens to you while you're in prison. If you didn't want to get raped, you shouldn't have stole those cookies. 